Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast entitled The Real Enneagram. A spiritual quest. Thank you for joining us today for this podcast. Today, it is myself, Erica Jobes, and Dr. Joseph Howell, and his wife, Lark Howell. How are you both doing? Great. It's a beautiful day here in Alabama. The sun is shining, and it's cool, and it's a a perfect day. Well, you know, I um, was looking forward to this podcast today because, you know, over the last maybe week or two, I've had a lot of people uh, with questions about one of um, the papers that you recently wrote for our training group, but I thought it'd be great for our podcast listeners too to hear about this particular subject. And so I was just going to I just wanted to talk to you and get you to talk to us about the concept of solality. Very good. Well, um, you know, in the Enneagram, when we go from the ego to our number of integration, um, we're, we, uh, we actually go from our personality to another form of a personality. And this form of our personality is uh, it's, it's dictated by our soul more so than our ego. And I wanted to think of another way to depict or to name the phenomenon of those who live out of their soul and express their personality through their soul more than their ego. So playing on the word personality, I just pushed the limits and <laughs> made the word soulality uh, as a, 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 an antonym for personality uh, so that people could get that it was two different ways of expressing ourselves in the world. Okay, so when you're discussing or thinking about solality, you're basically talking about once a person has begun to move in the direction of integration or move towards um, their their soul child, they you know they move from their ego type number and they go against their arrow to a number. So for me, at the eight, I go against my arrow to the ego to the ego type two, but that is my number of integration and that is where I find my soul child. And so there, when I'm living there, then I'm expressing or, or living out of soulality instead of out of personality. Is that what you're saying? For example, how were, was your personality, uh, and I'm sure it was nice and sweet and all of that, <laughs> but, but how, how was it, Erica, uh, from your standpoint, because we're the best judges of ourselves, uh, mm-hmm. um, how was your personality before you made the transition to the soul child and the point of integration 
where solality became more of you. What are what are your uh, how could you compare and contrast those two states of uh, expression? Well, I guess this is good timing for this particular particular topic because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. One of the biggest things that I experienced in my ego fixation at the ego type eight was just a constant striving and a constant uh, what felt like pushing and this constant need to be accomplishing and constant need to be in motion, action, constant trying, constant trying to, um, you know, to, to mark my place in this world and to become this, my best self and this constant, um, vigilance in protecting my children and my family and my business. And I I don't know, it was just a constant state of, I I guess the best word is just striving. I, I don't know. And then when I contrast that to where I feel like I am now, and I'm in no way um, achieved any (laughs) enlightenment or anything, but I will say, (laughs) I will say that I don't have the need to be in a constant place of pushing this push-pull thing that was going on anymore. Like, I'm very comfortable with being right where I am in this world. I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Well, yes, it's a it's a settled, uh, non-desperate, non-tyrannical feeling. Yes, exactly. I just, you know, like even at work, um, there are things that come up, you know, during the day that if I were back in the height of my ego fixation, I would be stomping around and calling supervisors and, you know, making a fuss about this or that. And now, you know, something will happen and I'll ask myself, is that mine to do? Is is that something that I need to interject myself into? Or is that not worth the energy? And there are times that, you know, my, my eightness is needed. And I you know, I, there are times that I have to do certain things, but there's a lot of times I don't. And I think what I've realized is that other people have it. They're okay. They've got it. Like they're, they're smart. They can figure it out. If they need my help, they'll let me know. I don't have to interject myself into everything. And I, I can't even begin to tell you how life changing that is, where I can just accept kind of a, you know, really a holy perfection in what is and not feel the need to go around, I don't know, pushing my agenda on everybody, if that makes any sense. Well, because because I've been in your environment at the hospital frequently, um, I've been able to watch you in professional action in the hospital uh, with your cohorts, with doctors, with patients, and... uh, I see the compassion coming through more so than the uh, the drive. It's almost as if you uh, have relaxed the drive and the compassion is pushing things. I think so. I think when the drive's not constantly in place, it makes space for me 
to be in relationship with others and to care for them and to be more concerned about, you know, nurturing and that kind of thing than just demanding and pushing and, you know, that kind of thing. So I definitely agree with that. And it's not, it's not something that I intend to do either. Uh, so, you know, I guess when we move to the point of integration, that when, when you're, when you're moving in that direction, it is, um, the, the, you're, you become in a way that is not, you're not, you're not trying to do anything different. It just comes natural to be that way. Yeah. You've relaxed into the deepest, uh, nature that we have, which is, our true nature, and that's embodied by the soul child. Yes. And uh, we know that. We know how to live in the soul child because we came to earth that way. It's almost like we take the wisdom and the logic of our ego and the soul child subsumes them and it becomes our major uh, uh, way of moving in the world. Well, let me ask you this. Is it a continuum? Like, is there, like, can you, can you, is there a continuum from the place of solality and then there's this big long line on the other end, there's personality. Is there multiple points in between personality and solality or is it just either or? <laughs> well, it, it, they both lie uh, at each end of a continuum that I have called the continuum of being. And at the mm-hmm. left end of the continuum is uh, personality and egocentricity. And the right end of the continuum is solality and soul-centricity. And right in the middle is what I call mixture, because that's the place of uh, great fighting between the ego and the soul for predominance. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's where things happen like the dark night of the soul or the angst of one's existential being and the reordering of one's way of working in the world, work, moving in the world. And uh, that clash uh, happens right in the middle. So we have a mixture of ego and soul right then, which uh, is the push-me-pull-you, to, to uh, borrow a doctor do little animal, and then once once the soul works uh, works into being the leader, then gradually you you go toward the right toward living in solality. Mm-hmm. And the point at which you have the mixture, where maybe you find yourself kind of right in between the egocentricity and the pull of the soul to you know, begin to to captain the ship. I I think there's a certain level of frustration there. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, and it's natural. It has to be. Mm -hmm. It's the inherent battle between one being one's own God and one relinquishing to the divine. Wholesale. Wholesale. So, in that particular place where... And I think, uh, interestingly enough, I, I can so revisit that place. But, you know, we have a number of people that we, you know, work with on a weekly basis in, in our training. And, and 
you know, often they will voice to me how f- that they they feel frustrated and, you know, they, they I, I, I don't know if I'm trying to think of the words that have been used, but they all kind of boil down to that unsettled, they know there's something more, but they're, it's not here yet. What is, what is your advice to someone in that place to continue to move to the right of that continuum, continuum towards solality? Well, it can't be done through will alone. It, mm-hmm. it can only be done uh, with the divine charging our own virtues, our own essential aspects, our holy ideas, our faith. Uh, and that is done in the process of the spiritual practice of inviting the divine who, uh, who laughs when we invite the divine because they are in perpetual hospitality toward us. We're actually <laughs> just answering the call of God. We're not, <laughs> we're, not, we're not on a high horse just allowing them to come in. Uh, so they, the, the divine chuckles and says, uh, when, when were you going to call? I, I was waiting. I have the doormat out. I, I I love that. I, I love what you just said about you know the divine being in a perpetual state of hospitality. That that is very profound because I think most of us think that at some level we're bad or we're not good enough or we're not worthy or we should have already had this figured out by now or why why is everything come so is so difficult or come so slow to me i know i've said all these things myself but the truth is the holy truth is that the divine is in a perpetual state of hospitality with us and all we have to do i guess is what you're saying is that spiritual practice which opens ourselves up to that that's it and the the spiritual practice if done daily moves us um there was a there was a, a minister in the seventies and eighties who was quite famous across the globe, and he had uh, Henry Nowen, by the way, as a guest speaker uh, frequently. This this minister was named Robert Schuler, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, he was uh, often uh, quoted to say the following phrase uh, regarding spiritual practices. Inch by inch, anything is a cinch. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. I, I love that because it shows that day by day, things do change because the wheels of God turn exceedingly slow, but they also turn exceedingly fine. And everything mm-hmm. that is done day by day accumulates toward uh, in our spiritual practice toward our living in solality. So this solality, so I'm imagining that we probably have some listeners because I know I've had this question and I know that we have people in our training program that has that have this question. What, how does one know when they are beginning to live more constantly out of the solality. Okay, well, I'll let Lark explain to you somebody 
who we knew very intimately is no longer alive. Eric, okay. Eric Smith, uh, we took careful notes when we were in our 20s and uh, got to know him, who was in his 70s at that point. And uh, we knew him for the next, uh, oh, 25 or 30 years until his death, uh, near 100. And so wow. um, uh, I'm going to let her tell you some of the things we noticed about a person who did live in solality. Hey, hey, Erica. Well, yeah, Eric, um, he was an unusual person, and he's one of these people that you don't see very often in your lifetime. Um, he used to say over and over again, he would say, every day in every way, I'm getting better and better and better. And uh, he didn't know the Enneagram. You know, we didn't even know it then when we were with him. And um, he had a glow about him. I mean, his whole face was lit. Uh, and he just lived in the present moment. There was never anything. Whenever something negative was said about someone, he would just go, oh, my, and then change the subject. He would not ever discuss anything negative. He was just totally positive and uplifting he was present whenever you spoke to him he was totally present with you in that moment without thinking about what happened 10 minutes ago or what was going to happen the following day and mm -hmm. um he just he just lived in the moment and he was the the most um wonderful uh example of uh of living in essence that i've ever experienced and even even then before we even knew the enneagram we knew that he was living in a place that we could only long to live in and that most mm -hmm. people don't achieve mm -hmm. what was it about him that you wanted for yourself well, it was a peace that he had no matter what was happening, you know, whether his car was broken down or whether he had to pay the taxes on this old historical house or whether he was in terrible physical, you know, pain and suffering or if he knew that his days were numbered or if he was tending to when he was a caregiver for an elderly uh a friend, whatever his challenge was, there was a piece about him that just lets you knew, know that he could handle it and that if he couldn't, it was going to be okay anyway. He was mm -hmm. not the kind to try to take control of a situation. He was just at peace with whatever life had to bring his way. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was sad when he would hear about terrible things about other people, but he wouldn't even commiserate too long about that because he knew that whatever terrible situation was going on with someone else, that it would pass just like it would pass with him. So he had an air of just being present in the moment and peaceful and wasn't anxious or fearful or demanding or angry or any of those types of things that we all wish we could rid ourselves of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he was generous. Uh he 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 was overwhelmingly kind and generous, uh not only with his money, but with with his time and his attention and his spirit. His spirit was just with you whenever you were with him. Mm -hmm. 
and mm -hmm. um, he was just, um, he was the kindest, most loving person I think I've ever been in the presence of. That's, that's a good, that's a good um, picture of what that solality looks like. You know, I notice when we're able to get together in our community with, you know, our you know, at a, a training or a conference or whatever, and we're around people who are seeking and doing this work, I often feel, you, you can feel a presence. And it, it, and it keeps you bringing, it keeps bringing you back because it's a place where you feel, you know, accepted. And it's a place where almost, uh, I don't know, time stands still, you, you know, the worries of, of uh, every day kind of subside and you're able to just be there with other people who also just want to be there and learn and grow. Is that a little bit of what you felt or? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was almost like time stood still, you know, for mm -hmm. that brief encounter. It was like you were almost in a, <laughs> it wasn't a COVID bubble, bubble, but it was like you were in a little bubble. And that mm -hmm. in his presence, it was like everything was okay. I mean, even mm -hmm. if it wasn't, it would be. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, I long for that peace. I think, and it's not something that he uh, worked on trying to be. It was just who he was. And um, and I have no idea what ego number he was. It doesn't matter. Um, but the <laughs> way he exhibited. Uh, his soul and the way he shared it so freely with everyone, uh, you know, from the maybe the wealthiest person in town to the plumber or to the, you know, whoever. He, uh, he mm -hmm. was a professional man and he came in contact with many people uh, with many different lifestyles and he was always the same with every single person he met. Um, he treated everyone with respect and with love and honor and interest. And um, we could all be so uh, uh, integrated. <laughs> like, what, what about you, Lark? Like, what, what is it like for you when you are, you know, to the left on the continuum and you are in that egocentricity and you are in your ego fixation versus when you feel like you're living, you know, towards the right side of the continuum or living out of soul? What's What are those differences for you? Well, it was interesting when you were talking about it. You know, I'm an ego seven, so I'm your next door neighbor on the, <laughs> on the Enneagram. And mm -hmm. I uh, can get into a terrible frenzy of accomplishment uh, like you were describing. But unlike you, you do yours out of wanting to succeed and to be, to accomplish and uh, and to maybe call the shots and to be in control. And for a uh -huh. seven, my frenetic moving about is more out of filling up a void or wanting to multitask to the point of exhaustion. Um, a seven can go and go and go, and you feel like you never are very accomplished in any one thing because you're dabbling in so many different things. And uh -huh. it's a way to keep moving because you don't want to sit in the silence. You don't want to stop. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you just, it, at, at, its, at its worst, it is a frenetic uh, movement of activity that is exhausting. But in mm -hmm. moving down that continuum to 
a place of integration, which would be going to my soul child of the number five, uh, when I'm able to do that, um, and I have to say, uh, it is something that I consciously worked on until one day it just happened. And mm -hmm. I was evidently in a frenzy of some kind, and I just automatically knew I needed to stop. I needed to calm down. I needed to center myself. I needed to sit with nature. I needed to sit and be quiet. I needed to have meditative time, whatever it was. But suddenly I realized that frenetic activity and that, that mindset had just faded away. And so once it happens, and it feels so good to be out of that ego, even for a few blessed minutes, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. once you do it, then you want to recreate that over and over again. So once mm -hmm. you do it, you know what facilitates it. It's not like you can force it to happen, but you can facilitate it. And for me, that facilitation means quiet, introspection, time alone, time with sitting with Joe in silence, uh, being with nature, being with our little dogs, um, not accomplishing anything, but mm -hmm. just being and resting in God's spirit. And I think that is what rejuvenates me so that when I go back into a, a busy day, I keep everything in perspective. I realize that nothing is a terrible tragedy and that I can move through the day more peacefully knowing that nothing is that important. And if I can stay present in the moment, then that's what I need to do. And that's what gives me peace and helps me through every day. Yeah. And as I'm listening to you describe that, I'm thinking about how our spiritual practice lets us let go of all the things that we hold so tightly, the striving and the accomplishing and the busyness. And it's the spiritual practice that lets us realize we were never in control to begin with, that we can't determine outcomes, we never could, um, that we that the divine really is in a perpetual state of hospitality towards us, that there's not, you know, there's we don't have to wait for this axe to drop. And and bad things happen. I'm not saying they don't. But when we hold things more loosely, uh, we can allow for those kinds of things to happen. And I'm thinking of myself specifically, without needing to control them. And uh, when we never really had any control to begin with. And that's been important that's for me. And I think it's my spiritual practice that's allowed me to let go and detach from those things so that I can just be and just be in the moment and just, like you said, that quietness, that introspection. Um, and for me, the compassion and the connection, because as an eight, you know, I in the ego fixation, it's you or me, we're separate and we're, you know, I'm striving against, I'm pushing against, but in my soul, uh, I, I want I want connection and community and compassion and all of those things that you have to be super vulnerable for. And, um, and that's where I find joy. Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and one thing so. you said just then, detachment. I think that's a key mm -hmm. word because we have to learn how to detach from what our idea is of how we want things to be. 
you know, mm -hmm. whether it's you lose a job and you're devastated because that's the only way you felt identification was with that job, you know. And if we don't become so, if we can become detached from the outcome of anything, that can give us a peace to move through the world um, more happily and more joyfully. And uh, whether it's the loss of, of, of a beloved family member or a job or, a, uh, you know, a, a divorce or whatever it is uh, that is bankruptcy. I mean, you know, so many terrible things mm -hmm. are happening to people all over the world right now. Um, and if you can detach from how you feel you want it to turn out and relax mm -hmm. in the whatever it is, trusting the divine, uh, like you said, the divine is hospitable and is the divine is in us. The divine mm -hmm. is just waiting for us to to say, hey, you know, I think I want your input now. <laughs> I think <laughs> I'm ready. I think I'm ready for you to take over and to control things because I can't do that really. And that's the true definition of moving towards living out of soul, uh, being connected with the groundedness of our being, living in essence, and uh, moving in that continuum towards living out of solality instead of out of our personality. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, that I think that's helpful. I think anytime we kind of talk through those things, it's helpful for people and for myself to see, you know, what that means, what that looks like. And uh, so, people want to know. I mean, even though it's hard to say you do A, B, and C, I think if you mm -hmm. can share with people what you do personally, I think it mm -hmm. gives them some inspiration to think, well, now I might try some of these ideas myself. Well, and you know, the just the very act of awareness um, helps us grow and to be aware that there is a place that you can live out of soul, that you don't have to live out of the ego fixation. And to be aware that, hey, if you if you don't have some sort of practice in place every day to get out of your mind, to get out of your head, and to open yourself up to the divine, then there's really no nothing in place for change or for movement or for growth. And um, you know you can you can read books, you can do all these all these busy tasks, but the the truth is we have to have a spiritual practice in place so that we can grow and and learn the practice of detachment and and move towards our soul. So maybe Erica, we could continue to this discussion uh, in our uh, in our lineup for next week. Uh, that sounds great. There's so much more about solality for us to yes. talk about. Okay, that sounds great. Well, I appreciate you guys joining us and being with me today and talking about this solality, and let's do it again next time. Would love to. Thank okay. you so much. Thank you, Erica. Okay. It's Thank good you. to hear you and see you. Goodbye, good everybody. Okay, all right, bye-bye. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.